I'm Lauren, and I'm a veterinarian. I'm JJ, and I'm a veterinary technician. And you're listening to IntroVets, a veterinary podcast by introverts with high-functioning anxiety. Welcome, everybody, to IntroVets Podcast. Hello. Today, we have another special guest for you. Dr. Sarah LaRoche is a clinical pathology resident at the University of Georgia. She graduated from veterinary school over at Auburn, and then she practiced for a little while as a small animal practitioner. She was in a, in a busy general practice in Nevada. And then after about three years of doing that, she decided, I want to be a pathologist. So she applied for a diagnostic internship, and now she's in her residency. Dr. LaRoche says that she likes cats, cows, and coffee. The three C's. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. LaRoche. Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> so now, uh, with the cats and the cows. She's got questions. Just those things. You know, I am a big cat lover, too. <laughs> I also, you know, I think cows are okay. But, but what, it, what is it about cows and cats specifically for you? They're both really sassy. Uh, and so I, <laughs> That's true. I worked at the dairy at school uh, before, and uh, I, I got to know a lot of the cows personally. They were naughty. I liked them. <laughs> <laughs> there was one cow that would uh, get herself out of the stanchions to go eat everybody else's food. She would unlock the stanchions with her ears. What? So we had to tie her up every time. Oh, that's <laughs> very naughty. Yeah. <laughs> mm. They're kind of like big naughty. dogs sometimes. Yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. they are. Yeah. Dairy cows, at least. Beef cows, you don't want to get Beef there. cows are kind of so. wild, you know? Yeah. Dairy cows are, uh, though, I mean, some of them are very, very uh, friendly, you know? Uh, they're, they're used to seeing humans twice a day. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> of course, I went to Auburn. My dairy rotation that two weeks was really the only exposure that I had to an operating dairy. The thing mm -hmm. that would kind of eliminate me from the pool of people to work dairy is the 4 a.m. wake up time. <laughs> I I just can't deal with it. Like uh I just can't do it. When I for those two weeks, I have never been so tired in my entire life as when we were on dairy and had to be at the school at four AM. And then it would be like your milking and stuff, then you would still have rounds you would still have all of your cases mm -hmm. you would still be at the flipping school at like seven or eight p.m and i'm thinking mm -hmm. like what dude dude when am i supposed to sleep <laughs> over here like i was very rough oh man yeah she yep. ain't kidding i mean whenever we usually room together and we do ce and stuff and she's got like 13 alarms that go yeah. off and <laughs> And they all have different tunes. So yes. and after a while, I started to kind of memorize which one was coming next. And I'm kind of the opposite. I usually, you know, I mean, especially since I've had this puppy. I mean, I get up at four o'clock every morning. Oh, my God. Yeah. That is just, and, why would you, why? That is the most but miserable I'm thing. I'm more productive of. in the morning. I, I do better in the morning. I, I was that way when I was a kid. I mean, I was up before the rest of the house. And it's nice and peaceful. and. You know, when it gets to be later in the day, don't ask me to do anything because I'm kind of done. So we tried getting one of those um, sunlight simulating oh, yeah. alarm clocks. Oh, cool. And I have learned that I can still get up, walk to the other side of my bedroom, look that sunlight <laughs> straight in the eye, and 
say nope turn it off mm-hmm. and go back to sleep exactly <laughs> exactly for me the thing is well i have sleep apnea and so getting treated for that has helped i really mm-hmm. think that i probably had sleep apnea as a child because this has been something mm-hmm. i've struggled with my entire life is when mm-hmm. i would wake up in the morning i would still feel like absolute hell just like why do i have to get out of bed it's always been the most challenging part of every day for me it's like just getting up but anyway so no i dairy um people that work dairy have a special place in my heart because there is no way that i could do that (laughs) at all i will do any sort of staying up super late at night no problem Maybe it's the other C, the coffee, that helps out. (laughs) Probably so. (laughs) Probably so. Actually, I don't like coffee that much, but when I was on dairy uh, rotation, I started drinking gas station cappuccino. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Because it was like the only thing, I mean, it was the only thing that I could do to stay awake. It was was not a help. It was not a helpful time in my life, for sure. (laughs) It was rough. Rough. Things were rough. I took mine during the, uh, I took the Navli during my dairy vacation. Yeah. Oh my God. Don't they usually try to schedule you for something where you have like reasonable hours? So I, you know, I I was used to getting up and I thought getting up, I'm not this way anymore, but I thought that getting up at 4am and milking the cows was actually kind of soothing. Just like the rhythmic kind of pumping noise. Mm -hmm. And the cows that I was used to and going to feed them and getting to smell the smelly silage and watching the sunrise, it was, it helped my test anxiety that morning. I actually went out and milked them that morning. Yeah. So So. you had like your just normal morning ritual for you. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that, Mm -hmm. you know, there are some aspects of being on dairy that were nice. I took it in July. It was so hot. But at 4 a.m., yeah. even in July, it's kind of cool outside. And so yep. I would have to, you know, take a jacket and the grass would be completely wet from all the dew. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so sometimes all the cows wouldn't line up. So we had to like tromp out through the field and like be like, come on, wake up, <laughs> wake up. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you can see the sun come up. Some of that, that stuff is nice. I just. Yeah. Man, I hate getting out of bed. You prefer to be <laughs> unconscious for that part. I know, right? <laughs> Gosh. Dairy cows aren't morning people either. No. It's hard to get them up sometimes. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, Dr. LaRoche has brought some pathology cases for us to talk about. So we are going to turn the floor over to Dr. LaRoche and have her talk to us about the first case. The first case I saw when I was on my diagnostic internship, I was on the necropsy rotation. Necropsy is basically the equivalent of a human autopsy. It's when we receive a deceased patient to try to determine why they passed away. This was a cat um, with about a six-month history of, of just not doing well. She had an anemia. Now, when a lot of humans hear anemia, they think, oh, we, they just need to eat more iron. That is almost never the case in our veterinary species. In this case, we think um, her body was responding to some kind of inflammation. She had increased liver enzymes. So those indicate that there is some kind of damage to her liver and what's called a bicavitary effusion. So 
fluid accumulation in her abdomen and in her chest. She was yellow, so people call that jaundiced, but she was icteric. That's another word for it. She was yellow. She was thin, and her spleen and her liver were enlarged. And this was something that we were not really expecting to get a clear answer on until we got the histopathology back. So that's the microscopic examination of her tissues, because all of these were very nonspecific. None of this really pointed us in any specific directions. But because I am interested in clinical pathology, I decided to teach the students how to do impression smears. And impression smears are when you take an organ and you cut part of it, you make a cut section, and you more or less make a little impression on a slide. You take that cut section and kind of press it up against a slide to hopefully get some of those cells onto the slide. Um, and then wait for it to dry and then stain it with a special stain and take a look at it. And I did not expect to find anything. The spleen is a very bloody organ. That's its job. It filters blood. But there were little little organisms in there that I wasn't expecting to see. It was something called histoplasmosis. What is histoplasmosis? So it is a what we call a dimorphic fungus. Fungi can be present in two different states, usually one or the other, uh, the yeast form or the hyphal form. The dimorphic fungi that are known to cause disease are present in both forms depending on the temperature that we are experiencing. So in the body, they are typically in the yeast form. So typically when we go through a case, we'll sort of start with our physical exam findings and sort of build a differential list and things like that. But in this kind of case, we sort of have maxed out all of the differentials. We have a patient who uh, we couldn't figure out the problem with to the point that the patient has has either passed away or, or undergone euthanasia. So for necropsy, that really is truly like kind of our last test that we're doing. <laughs> but it is really exciting that you're able to get that diagnosis on the impression smear, just like right away. Well, let's talk a little bit more about histoplasma as far as sort of the, the typical things that you would see if you had that sort of organism and sort of the typical things that we would see if we had, if we had an infection in a, in a kitty cat. A lot of times it will affect the respiratory system. Sometimes we find it even on a nasal swab. I've seen that as well, where a clinician sends us in a cytology of the nose. And I think, why did they do this? You know, it's just going to be, it's not. And I take a look at it and it's got macrophages and neutrophils filled with histoplasma fungus. They will often pass away from respiratory distress because it has affected their lungs to the point that they cannot breathe anymore. It can be found on x-rays. You'll see a very distinct pattern on x-rays. Now, I'm no radiologist. I can just say that, you know, that ain't right <laughs> when I look at x-rays. <laughs> normal or abnormal? But, uh, that's, that's all we got. Normal. <laughs> that ain't right. <laughs> Sometimes if the disease is severe enough, we can even find it in the blood spear. And we, when we draw blood, we make a little a little preparation of it on a slide, um, and we can see it in cells on the blood smear sometimes because it has completely disseminated throughout the body. It will infiltrate the spleen and the liver, sometimes even the kidneys, the intestines. 
you can even sometimes find it on a rectal scrape in dogs. Oh, wow. Yeah. You think you just find some poo and maybe some mucosa and epithelium when you scrape the rectum, but sometimes you will find histoplasma uh, on that rectal scrape. It's a very, it sounds, yes, Hmm. it is invasive, but it's... It's better than <laughs> surgically taking some biopsies to figure it out. JJ was making a face. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was fine till you said invasive. <laughs> the-, <laughs> the dog would argue that it is an invasive procedure. Yes, right. <laughs> yeah. There wouldn't is actually a, a urine test, um, a urine antigen test, specifically for histoplasmosis. It also cross-reacts with a dimorphic fungus that we see more often here in Georgia. And in you guys' cases, I believe you're still in Alabama, uh, blastomyces. Yeah, we actually recently covered blastomycosis <laughs> on the podcast. So, uh, Yeah, it was on my arm. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't like it. No, sorry, JJ. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, lichen blastomycosis in Histoplasma often does present with uh, respiratory disease. Did did this kitty cat have respiratory lesions as well? The lungs had some evidence of pyogranulomatous inflammation, but the pleural effusion was what was the most concerning. I don't believe they sampled the pleural effusion while this kitty cat was still alive. Oh, okay. I gotcha. One of the issues that we think happened, you know, when all else fails, a lot of people will try steroids. And if you have any type of infectious disease, like a fungus, it will, you know, with steroids, you suppress the immune system. So your immune system's yeah. already having trouble with something that you weren't able to find, and you, you take it down a notch, and all of a sudden, it overwhelms the, the body. And this kitty cat died at home. I was just curious if y'all found it in any other um, organ specimen or... Was it just the spleen? It was everywhere. Um, I only did impression smears of the spleen because that was all I needed. But they continued with the, you know, the standard necropsy biopsies. Well, it's not a biopsy if they're dead. Necropsy histopathology. And uh, found it along with associated pyogranulomatous inflammation in just about every organ. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, you brought up a really good point about steroids and how a lot of the time they are used in palliative care. So if, um, you know, if you got a, a an older, especially, do you remember how old this cat was? I think this cat was about 10. 10. Okay. So I'm thinking real world general practice, an older anemic yellow cat with a bicavitary effusion. It didn't happen to be the case in this patient, but the chances of that being something neoplastic or cancerous is mm-hmm. pretty high. And so sometimes owners will be like, look, I know that working this case up is the ideal thing, but I don't have, you know, 200 to 300 cupcakes <laughs> right now to deal with this. And so what else can we try? And so steroid a lot of times is what you'll try, right? But Dr. LaRoche brings up a great point that sometimes if you, if you have like kind of a weirder type case, which I'm sure like fungal disease would not would have been on my list, but not at the top for for this case, you can get a bad surprise. So it's always something to keep in mind. Sometimes it will make them feel worse mm-hmm. instead of better. And that that topic will come up with uh, another case that we're going to discuss too. my kitty cat. Ooh, yes. Foreshadowing. <laughs> <Ooh>. Okay. <laughs> 
So normally we'll go through things like treatment, but this cow was dead, so it's not really, not really applicable. I, I will um, say that a lot of times, by the time they get referred to the tertiary referral center, so like the teaching hospital, and then they find it because they, you know, sometimes it's sneaky, sometimes it's everywhere, and but you can't find it. But they run this urine antigen test and it's positive. A lot of times, mm-hmm. even with the antifungal treatments and supportive care, they, they don't make it. There's already been too much damage to mm. all your vital organs. Yeah. I've actually, I've seen disseminated fungal disease in one cat. It was also found on necropsy. To my, in my immediate memory, I don't remember ever seeing a case of disseminated fungal disease in a cat that was like treated successfully. Lots of dogs. I see it all the time in dogs. But in cats, I just haven't seen it as much. I I don't know if that's because cats just don't get fungal disease as much as dogs or if it's just not recognized. Dr. LaRoche, do you know? I don't know for sure. If I had to speculate, I would say um, probably because cats can hide their illnesses much better than dogs can. They're very sneaky little critters. Mm -hmm. Um, And we usually don't see sickness until... You know, it's already basically killing them. But yes, in my experience, it's usually in dogs. And the one successful case that I've had uh, personally when I was in practice was a dog. So it wasn't histoplasma. (laughs) I've seen one case of histoplasma ever in any animal, and it was a cat. Just try not to give any details away that would be recognizable. But so this was actually an indoor-only elderly cat that presented with acute onset of neurologic mm-hmm. symptoms and you know we thought this is going to be primary mm-hmm. brain disease you know for sure or maybe because the cat had a really bad chronic otitis externa bilaterally mm-hmm. like maybe we're having you know middle ear disease inner ear disease you know, something like that going on or like uh, one of the cases that the neurologist came and talked to us about was one that had abscessed into the brain. (laughs) So, okay, something like that. But that cat ultimately did go to necropsy and it was, it was histoplasmosis. And that was like, just, I mean, talk about jaw on the floor, Mm -hmm. like an indoor only pampered, perfectly taken care of kitty, you know, where you're like, how did this cat get fungal disease? Like that is just so crazy. But I was going to ask, like, if y'all thought that maybe um, cats didn't have it as much because um, a good majority of them are indoor only, but that kind of blows that theory out of the water. Well, and I don't know. That was just, again, that was just my personal observation is I haven't seen it as seen fungal disease in general as much in cats. I don't know the statistics on it. I can try to look <laughs> it up real quick. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know the statistics <laughs> too much either. I mean, houses aren't sterile. You know, people, especially in the United States, walk in with their shoes on and walk around the house with their shoes. And, uh, you know, and if you have a chimney or an air conditioning or anything, really, that allows air to Mm -hmm. enter, those aerosolized particles can be inhaled and indoor-only creatures can still get these diseases. I'm looking here just briefly, and I'm not seeing an incidence of cats versus dogs like percentage-wise or anything like that. So it might be location-dependent 
And it might be that just my cross-section of patients, for whatever reason, it's been mostly dogs that I've seen with fungal Mm. disease. I can tell you that histoplasmosis is the second most commonly diagnosed systemic mycosis in cats, second only to cryptococcosis. Ooh, yes. I was, Mm. when you said neurologic signs, I thought, ooh, crypto. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Cryptococcus is really pretty on cytology. It has a very thick capsule surrounding the organism so it's like all this clear space surrounding the organism and it often causes nasal lesions like you can see little sores on the outside of the nose or even a disfigured nose Mm -hmm. like a like a bump on the nose Mm -hmm. kind of like Mm -hmm. the bridge of the nose gets big and it can invade up through the cruciform plate and cause neurologic signs sometimes you can even find it on cerebrospinal fluid which is frightening yeah as far as treatment goes, I know obviously in this particular case, we're kind of beyond treatment, but it looks like treatment options are very similar to the options that we reviewed in our blastomycosis episode. Itraconazole, fluconazole. You can go back and listen to that blastomycosis episode uh, if you want information about those drugs. Funky funguses. Funky funguses. There's a fungus among us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So the second case I saw while I was in practice. Now, like uh, we discussed in my introduction, I went out into a general practice before I decided I wanted to be a pathologist. And I saw lots of interesting things. We were pretty busy and we took walk-ins and emergencies along with appointments. Um, And one case stands out in my mind. We have this button that we can press in that hospital that I worked at. Um, It sounds like a school bell and I am classically conditioned to jerk when I hear it because it usually means something is actively dying or in trouble. It's like Um, a triage bell kind of thing? Oh, wow. And um, so I ran in to the treatment area after hearing this bell and there was a cute little lab, you know, Labrador retriever, probably about two years old, sitting there looking happy, wanting to say hi to everybody with blood spewing from his tongue. Um, Great. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) it looked like he had nicked an artery because you could get his pulse just watching him. Nice. Um, And he was just running around saying hi to everybody and making the treatment area look like a slaughterhouse. And I go back there and they have already given him some acepromazine IV. We affectionately call it ace face when they get really sedated and all of their (laughs) facial muscles just kind of relax. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I mean, he was still bleeding, but it wasn't nearly as much because they gave him a very high dose of acepropazine and his blood pressure dropped. We got him fully anesthetized. I believe I just used propofol and intubated him so that blood would not go into his trachea and took a look at his tongue. And he had somehow bit through the lingual artery. And that was what was causing the pulsating blood spewing from his tongue. Everything else looked okay. And I sutured up. Now you have to suture both sides of the tongue when there's a big hole like that. I used absorbable suture so I don't have to pry this dog's tongue out of his mouth and take the sutures out later. And we got his, uh, we got some blood work done. We, we checked his packed cell volume and it was still okay. Even though he lost what appeared to be an alarming amount of blood, I think it was just the splatter effect because he did not need a blood transfusion. Yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> And when we woke him up from anesthesia, he uh, stood up 
and proceeded to vomit up a huge blood clot that had taken the shape of his stomach. Oh, gross. (laughs) Because if you think about it, you know, if you're bleeding from your tongue, you're going to swallow some blood. Yeah. Um, That was interesting. And and after he had calmed down and I went and told his human that he was okay and he woke up and his tongue is no longer bleeding and his blood pressure is good, he told me that they were out hiking and this dog took it off after a rabbit mm-hmm. and came back with no rabbit and a hole in his tongue. Um, I guess that so- rabbit had really thick, sharp, pointy teeth. <laughs> I actually think he... <laughs> so this is, a, you know, you know how silly labs are. He's two years. <laughs> um, I, I actually think he tripped and bit clean through his tongue. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Lord. So- um, he came back three days later. I told him to come back because I was worried maybe he had aspirated something, you know, some of the blood maybe, but he he was full. So, um, and thankfully, I, I never had to see him again because we were not his normal vet. We were just the first place he could find. So. Lucky <laughs> <laughs> you. Like trying to, I can imagine trying to a vein to administer that ace by also simultaneously getting hosed with blood yeah, that's what was happening and the assistants <laughs> i i guess they just panicked because they'd see you know the blood around him and they'd go oh my gosh and they would move him and then he would spew blood around him oh my gosh and then they would move <laughs> stop moving him <laughs> <laughs> Dr. LaRoche, uh, do you have you seen Monty Python or yes. have? Okay. <laughs> okay, so the he was probably going after the that killer rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what is it called? The killer rabbit of oh. Carvin Car- oh. Car- What's it called? <laughs> I need to look this up now. It's gonna bother Care- me. Carbonog. <laughs> killer rabbit. Oh, if you type in killer rab, it's one of the it's like the third thing that pops up. <laughs> killer rabbit Monty Python. Uh, <laughs> oh god. <laughs> I forget how disturbing these things are. <laughs> rabbit of Cabinog? Uh, Cabinog? Carbonog. Carbonog? I don't know how you pronounce it. <laughs> got the nasty teeth yeah <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> so well the one thing uh, so many things this story has reminded me of the first is a time when i had to tell um a support staff member that though descriptive bloodbath is not really an appropriate medical term to put in a, in a, in like a medical record like room looks like a bloodbath like we need to maybe find a more professional way of saying that just in case copious um, hemorrhage <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly very descriptive uh but probably not the greatest uh option on that the second thing is that those tongues can bleed like crazy mm-hmm. and the time that i have really encountered this was a dog with a lingual mass Mm. So any sort of lingual or sublingual mass, if you're trying to take a biopsy of it, just FYI, like, be prepared. Never just be like, I can sedate it and biopsy this tongue real quick. No, intubate, because those things bleed like you have never seen anything bleed ever. Like, it is 
crazy town. So just some protective eyewear. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, what's the um, what's the gauze that you put on stuff to pack it off? And that's fine. Vets Vaughn, Andrea all the time used to be like, Vets Vaughn! Yeah. Like, make sure you have your Vets Vaughn. And then the last thing that it reminds me of is this one case that I saw. It was a lab. I was wondering if you were... um, It's always a lab. thinking of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this lab, it was a young dog. It came in on emergency. Same sort of thing. Very like, hi, how are you? While it was just like (laughs) bleeding, bleeding, bleeding. And as it was panting... Because it had a full thickness lip laceration, if you can imagine, like, from the nose leather all the way down, the all the way down the muzzle to the thing. And so it looked like one of those dogs from Stranger Things where its whole mouth opens up like a petal. Like, that's what it looked like. It was that level of laceration. And it was panting. And every time it panted, the blood would just spray out of its mouth. And so the blood was over the owner all over us, all over the walls. Like, it was just, like, everywhere. This dog had been playing in the owner's wood shop while they were doing woodworking, Mm. and they had a circular saw going, and the dog just stuck his face into the circular saw to, like, sniff of it, and just was like, like, just right down the thing. Luckily, the dog somehow had not injured the maxilla, his mm. teeth were normal, like it had just cut cut clean through his lip, but his owner was beside themselves, like just mm. freaking out. And I had to be like, this is going to be okay. Like, <laughs> this dog <laughs> is going to be okay. Like, I promise you. So I we closed it, and it took a long time because, you know, you had to get the layers back together. Then you had to put stitches all inside of the mouth and then all mm. the way down the face. Um, But it came together beautifully, and I was just, like, so proud of this closure. I was like, this closure is awesome. I took photos of it. I was, like, so proud. And before he got the stitches out, they were out working somewhere, like, on a fence line, again, with the swinging of a sharp instrument, like an axe or something. (laughs) And the dog got hit in the face with the axe on the same side, and it opened up my gorgeous repair, and I was like, so irritated it was like same thing at lunchtime present on emergency same thing with the flapping and the in the blood everywhere and stuff and i was like are you serious like again like for real for real they were like i'm sorry i was like so from now on any type of instrument with a blade the dog is not in the room or Mm -hmm. outside like the dog needs to be in a cage a crate anytime you're handling a sharp instrument like what are y'all doing dog has no sense of self-preservation none no personal <laughs> space either like come on Grider, though, that dog that dog came back in and mm-hmm. you couldn't tell anything had happened good it was beautiful i mean beautiful no jj star, nothing we <laughs> might have to bleep part of that out but yeah i know that because like we were we had a big discussion about it we're like i remember this dog no 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 this dog got in a fight with a circular saw and they're like what <laughs> and then then we weren't done look here look at the chart (laughs) yeah so yeah it it you there wasn't you couldn't tell at all excellent cosmesis beautiful Mm -hmm. sign me up for the plastic surgery uh certification i'm ready (laughs) oh Uh sharp object not a good combo (laughs) nope 
Well, so Dr. LaRoche, now you brought us a third case, right? Yes. And this one is is very personal to you. Yes, it is. My little schmoopy, my pumpkin. <laughs> pumpkin, spelled P-U-N-K-I-N because she's a punk, um, <laughs> is approximately 10-ish year old domestic short hair cat that I have had since I started vet school. She was like that mystery young adult age when I got her. You know, she could yeah. be 10, she could be 14. I don't know. She has been a poor doer since I got her. Now she has a nice little control being her sister, who is healthy and kind of fat, but that's all that's wrong with her. So she's had diarrhea since I got her. And oh, no. we did an endo- endoscopic biopsies colonoscopic biopsies came back as inflammatory bowel disease. That's a whole nother topic. (laughs) She has high blood pressure. She has kidney insufficiency. She has mitral valve disease. She has atopic dermatitis. And she developed an anemia of chronic disease during my internship. Now, anemia of chronic disease is usually, like we had mentioned with the other cat, brought on from inflammation. The body is trying to sequester iron so that if there is an organism or any type of thing competing for the iron, it can't get to it. And we never really figured out why. And we're like, okay, you know, she's got all these problems along with her asthma. Maybe maybe it's just all these problems starting to rear their ugly head. Um, and to give you an idea, uh, within six months, her hematocrit, which is the percentage of blood that is red blood cells, Went from in the 40s to 20. Oh. She's still playful. She's still got pink gums. She's still acting normal. So she has obviously acclimated to this. And I thought, okay, well, let's just see what happens. You know, I can do all these invasive tests or I can, you know, she feels fine. Otherwise, let's just, let's wait and see. And when I moved to Georgia, I noticed a lump kind of behind her left ear. Hmm. And we made an appointment with the teaching hospital and they aspirated it. It did not exfoliate well and it looked like a lymph node. And I said, okay, maybe she's got, I mean, she does have some gingivitis. Maybe it's a reactive lymph node. And it never went away and got bigger. And all of her peripheral lymph nodes eventually got big. (gasps) Oh no. (laughs) Now the kicker here is that cats don't typically get peripheral lymphoma. Um, That is exceptionally rare. And we're going to elaborate on that in a little bit. We aspirated the nodes and they came back as pyogranulomatous inflammation. Mm. Now, with all of her problems, I was thinking maybe she's immunosuppressed and has some kind of fungus. Maybe she's got toxoplasma. Maybe she has, you know, hemobartonella. Maybe cat scratch fever. Maybe something is going on that I can't find. We ran every infectious disease panel we could think of and everything was negative. So, um, the node got big enough that it was bothering her. So we decided to take it off. And I got a call from my resident mate who was doing biopsies that week. And he said, I have some bad news. And it was along with the inflammation, there was a monomorphic population of small lymphocytes that all demonstrated CD3 reactivity on immunohistochemistry indicating that she had a small peripheral T-cell lymphoma in that Mm -hmm. lymph node. Now, they took two lymph nodes off. They took the parotid, the big weird one, and one of her popliteals, which is behind her knees, 
that one just had inflammation. It did not have the lymphoma. So my cat has one of the rarest types of lymphomas that cats can get. That would happen to a veterinarian, so wouldn't it? That's what I'm saying. This is yes. like a veterinary professional thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> once you get that diploma, once you walk across the stage, something just kicks over in, in your, your pets and they say, hmm, guess I'll die. <laughs> but, 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 I mean, really weird first. Yeah. yeah vet technicians too. Like yeah. anybody that works in the vet field, it can never be just some normal run-of-the-mill stuff. It's always got to be like, we're just going to throw in, <laughs> right, we're just going to throw in some kind of weird bullshit, you know, like, <laughs> just for fun. I'm just waiting to see what's going to happen with his gig. Hmm. <laughs> right now, the only thing that's going on with him is that he's should only weigh about six pounds, and he's over ten. Hmm. And he's not fat. He's younger. He is a he's an easy keeper. <laughs> he's a horse. <laughs> he's just, a, he's a big puppy. Like He's, he's a, a big brick. Puppy. Because yes. he looks like a giant potato. Oh my god! Tiny short legs and a big old barrel of a body, and then a tiny head. Like, well, can you like just I don't know adjust another body part because you look weird? But oh, he'll grow into it. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> so, Doctor Larose, you have been through all of these tests. You finally take the lymph node off. It comes back. T-cell lymphoma, something really off the wall, not not very common. Where did you guys go from there? So right now, Pumpkin is still in the recovery stage from her surgery. It's only okay. been about two or three weeks. Oh, gosh. Um, oh. Yeah. So this is new. Um, no, yeah. I was kind of expecting it. I was like, betcha there's going to be something in there that we're not aspirating. Now, the problem with diagnosing small lymphoma in animals or any creature, really, lymph nodes are supposed to be predominantly small lymphocytes. Um, a normal, quote unquote, normal lymph node is supposed to be about 80 to 85% small lymphocytes, and the rest being intermediate or large. And lymphocytes, for those of you who haven't had any immunology courses, are, are white blood cells responsible for regulating the immune system, more or less. And in our lymph nodes, in our spleen, well, and in thymus, the thymus and younger animals, we uh, we should see mostly small lymphocytes, and that's literally just the size of them. If you have a small cell lymphoma, if you aspirate it, it's going to look like a normal lymph node hmm. because the majority of cells are going to be small. Now you can be suspicious because if you tell me this is from an enlarged lymph node and there are multiple enlarged lymph nodes. And I see mostly small lymphocytes with no other signs of reactivity. So no neutrophils, no macrophages, nothing like that. I say, maybe we should do some more tests. Now, looking back at the cytology, we still don't know what was causing the inflammation. And that's another thing that I'm worried about that we had touched on earlier. Maybe there's something else that we haven't found. And when I put Punkin on steroids to help treat this lymphoma, something else is going to rear its ugly head because we still don't know what's causing that inflammation in all the rest of her lymph nodes. But uh, there are several other different types of tests that you can run. And one of them is what we did. We surgically took off the lymph node to see the architecture of it. And there was no normal lymphoid architecture. The cells were not arranged in the way that they should be, which is indicative of cancer, neoplasia. I'm so sorry. 
that that that's happened and and gosh and just really recently too i hope she she feels better oh she feels fantastic yeah she's she punched me in the eye this morning for breakfast she's still doing zoomies around the house she's yelling at me for food so you know obviously she feels really great and and these types of lymphomas are we usually see small cell lymphoma in the intestines in the mesentery in the mesenteric lymph nodes, so inside the abdomen of cats, and it's usually more of a slowly progressing type lymphoma. Now, this lump has been there for almost a year now, mm. and it has not killed her yet. <laughs> so, She's still kicking. Everybody asks me, what's the prognosis for this? I'm like, there are very, I don't, I don't think there's any really published cases of peripheral small T-cell lymphomas in cats. That's how rare this type of lymphoma is. Mm. So your guess is going to be as good as mine. But right now she feels great. So, well, maybe if you put her on steroids, it'll uh, help her atopic dermatitis feel better. And her asthma. Yeah. And her <laughs> asthma. You got like a three in one combo situation. <laughs> and her, her, so she's on a steroid inhaler right now, which is oh, yeah. what, like 10 cupcakes a month. Yeah, the, pill, the pills yeah. will be one cupcake a month. So. Yeah, that, that inhaled the, the fluticasone inhaler, like, I don't know. There was a time in my career where I could put asthma cats on fluticasone inhaler. I feel like for, you know, four to five cupcakes a month. And then mm-hmm. the price just skyrocketed a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't understand. It's not like this is a new drug. It's an old drug. It's very frustrating. Mm-hmm. But it's real hard to get people, you know, now when you diagnose asthma for them to get on to inhaled steroids because they're like, well, hell. You can't order it, you know, from other places Countries? Yeah. online. <laughs> I, not me. I mean, I would oh, no, never I'm, do that. I'm okay. definitely, definitely not doing that right now. No. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's just what I've heard on the street. The word on the street is that you can do that. <laughs> For like a third of the price. Yes. <laughs> just saying. Ten cupcakes instead of... 30. Exactly. <laughs> that makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Lord. Well, I hope Pumpkin continues to do well mm-hmm. and that she keeps smacking you in the face for food. Yes. Yes. You know? Hopefully and I mean I that in the nicest yeah. possible way. <laughs> I hope to keep her nails trimmed or she will accidentally <laughs> give me love scratches. <laughs> I think that that is going to round us out, but is there anything else on Pumpkin's case that we need to touch base about? I feel like just remembering that cats are not small dogs. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Peripheral lymphoma um, is very exceedingly rare in cats, but it is the most common presentation for dogs. It's just so hard. Like you do see common things commonly, but the uncommon things, I guess in vet school, I thought, well, I'll see one of these zebra cases once every five years, you know, or something like that. No. The truth is that you see a dozen common, common type cases a day, and at least one a day where you're like, what Mm -hmm. the fuck? (laughs) What is going on? (laughs) What is going on with this? What is happening? And it seems like you get the one kind of graduated, like, we finally have figured out what this is. Now you got two or three more coming in where you're like, damn it, like, I can't ever get away. Why can't I ever just go through a period of time where everything is a common thing? No. And that's 
even for general practitioners. So it's not something you can ever get away from, mm. at, you know, unless if you work at like a vaccine clinic or something. Yeah, a vaccine <laughs> clinic. Even spay neuter stuff, you're going to find weird things in there that you weren't expecting. Oh, to find. yeah. So, Just because of the boob. volume, right? Yeah. Like, yes, JJ, I like the pregnant boob. The uh, <laughs> spay neuter clinic, you know, vets that do, you know, 30 surgeries a day or whatever, they're like, you know, how many intersex animals we see like a ton, mm-hmm. you know, how mm-hmm. many, like, they're just like, it's crazy. And I, I haven't run into one yet, but it's probably only because like it, you know, how long it takes me to do 30 spays. <laughs> I don't know, three months or something in general practice, right? Like, I mean, that's just not something you see very often anymore. Anyway, I did have a one, one horned, one ovaried, one kidney oh, wow. creature. One kidney um, too. Oh. Yeah. I was uh, you know, only my first year out, I think. And everybody's like, you need to review your anatomy. You need to find the kidney and go from there. I'm like, I, it's not there. And yeah, it's nobody not believed me until they gloved in. And they're like, oh. Was that a no cat? It was a cat. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. It's, it's always cats that do weird crap like that. But mm-hmm. anyway. They're not happy unless they're weird. Well, Dr. LaRoche, uh, to close out our episodes, as you know, a lot of times we will do a favorite thing uh, where we just say, something positive that's happened to reflect back or maybe we make a recommendation of like a book or a podcast or you know something like that would you be interested in joining us for that today sure all right jj you want to lead us off okay when i started my new job the 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 first that week of training was was really really rough because i was kind of starting in a bit of a hole because i had no military experience and there's lots of lingo that I was like, what's that? Yeah. And a lot of Googling. And <laughs> I was definitely um, slow, like the slowest of the group. And I was feeling kind of really sad about that. But I have finally kind of found my groove and I'm actually doing a lot better. Lot. I'm, I'm kind of happy with where I'm. Where I'm progressing to, so panic at the disco can recede <laughs> a little because there for a minute I was like, this is not good, I suck. But I'm, I'm doing much better, so I'm very happy well, about fantastic, that. that's fantastic, JJ. You know, job changes are stressful. Even if ultimately it's the best thing for you, it's up there with one of the most stressful experiences. Like if you look at the mm. statistical list, like, you're like losing a family member, divorce, job changes on that short list of really, really yeah. stressful things. So I'm so proud of you for for kind of overcoming that because, you know, a lot of people would be like, oh, I, I can't do this, you know, and then just and then shut it down. But you didn't. If think about yeah. all of the crazy nope, skills that you're learning that you wouldn't have known otherwise. Yeah, I'm learning a lot of stuff and um, I'm a. Uh... I'm getting better at reading necropsy yeah, reports. Yeah, all right. Because I was like, okay, um, what does this word mean exactly? So, yeah, there's lots of Googling of that, too. But um, I'm improving and getting faster at it. And, I mean, I, I love it. I would not trade it for anything. This is, like, the best job I've ever had. And I'm super happy about it. I just wanted, you know, I wanted to you do want well, to be perfect and I felt from like the I was day, not doing well. Completely best yeah. at everything. I know, especially when I've never done anything <laughs> like this before. But very reasonable, you know. That's <laughs> exactly. But it's 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 gotten Good. a lot better. So 
I'm uh, I'm excited and it's been entertaining. That's awesome. So. <laughs> I like it. Dr. LaRoche, what about you? So I know that for vet students and pre-vet students, grades are a major source of stress. I was like a straight A student for all the way from kindergarten up until my senior year of undergraduate. And then when I got to vet school, I didn't do so well. <laughs> I think that's a common experience. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I had a lot of health problems and a lot of mental health problems in vet school. And I just let it get to me that I didn't have a perfect GPA. And, you know, I wasn't going to get into any of these advanced training programs. You know, I wasn't going to be a good vet because my grades were terrible. And they, you know, terrible. I I had a... I had like one B or whatever. Student. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, 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 no. It it was I was almost on academic probation the first year, and then it got better. It's a big adjustment. It, it is, and seeing all of your classmates just breeze right through it, you feel like you're drowning. I even got a C in clinical pathology, and now I am a clinical pathology resident. Well, look, sometimes not doing well at something the first time makes you kind of come back and be like. I'm not going to let this bitch beat mm-hmm. me, okay? Yep. Because, like, I don't want to get us too sidetracked <laughs> here, okay? But y'all know I, I'm on TikTok, okay? <laughs> yeah. Somehow I got on teacher TikTok. I don't know how, okay? <laughs> but there was one I saw the other day that I was just like, whoa. So this teacher was like, people think about grades as, like, this is how good you are in a subject area. Mm-hmm. But grades are only a reflection of the amount of knowledge in that subject area you have currently mastered. Mm -hmm. They have no bearing on your potential. Mm -hmm. And I was like, whoa, (laughs) what the fuck? Like, no one had explained that to me before. So anyway, I want you to continue and then I'll tell you about freshman radiology (laughs) and how it almost tripped me up. You mean imagination land? That's right. (laughs) I, you know, I, and I, I really liked pathology, but that, and I got a B in general pathology. Oh no. So I thought, you know, when I, when I got close to graduation, there's no way that I could do this. I kind of let it get to me. I kind of let it beat me down. So I thought, I thought I was going to be a dairy cow vet, but turns out I ended up working at a small animal hospital. And I had told my boss, you know, I want to eventually go back and do pathology. He's like, okay, I'll support you then. But right now, we're going to focus on general pathology or general practice. And we did. And every time I got weird blood work, I would flop it down in front of him and say, help me. (laughs) (laughs) And that's really helped me kind of put everything together. I'm one of those people. I can't retain something unless if I know why it's important. Yeah. Like you could list off all these causes for hypercalcemia, but until I see it in a patient, it's not going to stick to me. Um, but now that, you know, I've seen all this out in the real world I and I've seen all the struggles with it and and I know what, especially what new graduates struggle with as far as clinical pathology goes, I, I feel like it's made me a, a, a pretty strong teacher, so to speak, um, because that is part of your residency duty, no matter where you go, is teaching yeah. students. So your good thing is that you got feedback that you know, your knowledge level on this area that you want to know more about was is not not as high as we need to be, but you didn't give up and mm-hmm. you ultimately went into an internship and now you're residency. Now you teach 
the course. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's how you persevere right there. You show that clinical pathology who's boss. I feel like that as far as, you know, your good thing, that's that's a pretty big one. It's a big good thing right it's there. A huge one. It is. Oh, and another one that I found out this week is that I passed phase one of my boards. Hell so. yeah, girl. That is so <laughs> awesome. Get it. Party. Celebrate. <laughs> well, I, along those lines, I, I'll just say that I also struggled when um, in my first year of veterinary school, it was a huge adjustment emotionally and also just academically, uh, I had never experienced anything like that before. I thought mm-hmm. that I had been studying in a college. I was wrong about that. Uh, it was a new definition of studying, for sure, mm-hmm. to to excel in vet school. And even even with how hard I tried, I was never an all A type student. I was a I was a B student, and in vet school, you know, if you make too many C's, they're like, eh, you know. Uh, so the C equals DVM thing is not necessarily a hundred percent true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, you can have a, some C's, but but not so much. And in my freshman radiology class, we had just a midterm and a final. On the midterm, I did pretty well. On the final, things did not go okay for me. Okay, and so that uh, just that one test grade having having one bad day was really threatening my ability to continue on in the program. And uh, mm-hmm. I met with, um, you know, a panel of people. Like, I mean, it was a big, it was like a big deal. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time, my radiology professor, Deborah Beard, she said, I'll tutor her over the summer and she'll retake the final. And um, then uh, as long as she does, you know, well, then we'll let her you know, you don't have to repeat the whole first year, right? Because it was really just that one class that was a problem for me. And and just out of the graces of her, good graces of her heart, I don't know what possessed her to spend all that extra time, but she did. And so I I went up to the vet school every single day during the summer and sat there in radiology with her. We would go over stuff and I would get out the cases. Back then there's a, maybe still there, there's a huge file cabinet of films. This was like most everything was still taught on plain film. Okay. So you had this huge filing cabinet and you would pull out uh, these, uh, these note cards and it had cases written on it. You would look at the film and in, and see if you could diagnose the film and then flip the card over and see if you had gotten it right. And I would just stay up there for hours doing that. And uh, a lot of the test was like really complex physics about how an ultrasound machine worked. So she helped me with that. And at the end of the summer, I retook the test, made an A, so went on to my whole thing. And then I want you to know that after that, I took advanced radiology class and ultrasound class and three different radiology rotations just because of how things worked out. And I made an A in every single one. So like that experience of having someone take a personal interest and being like, hey, here's how to learn the information better because I didn't have the skills to do it. Like, it was amazing. So anyway, I haven't talked to Dr. Beard in forever. I don't think she's at the school anymore, but if she's listening, that was a big deal to me. I will say yeah. that they brought that old filing cabinet of yeah um, physical films to the te- the new teaching hospital when I they, was there. All right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Hell yeah, because, you know... <laughs> 
It's probably got lots of grider fingerprints on it. That represents decades of work, you know, on the radiology department. Got feel good stories all around. I guess all that to say, I guess that can count as my good thing. Back in the day, my professor really helped me. So if you're in vet school and you're listening to this, just know that if you're struggling, it's not that uncommon. Dr. LaRoche is going to be a specialist and she struggled. Mm -hmm. I mean, come on. (laughs) I drove the struggle bus second year. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I really feel like it's not something that I had like felt comfortable talking about either. So like when I was going through all of that, like it was stressful as shit, right? Like Mm -hmm. you're thinking like, This is the only thing that I've ever thought about doing. I have done all of this work all through high school, all through college to get here. And now maybe I can't cut it. You know, it's just a lot of stuff to think about. I really, at the same time, felt like I couldn't tell anyone about it. Peers, like classmates or whatever. So if you're in vet school and you're struggling, like reach out, email us, email Dr. LaRoche. (laughs) Hopefully Dr. LaRoche is okay with me saying that, but like, you know, reach (laughs) out because we can help you. Uh, feel better about it. If you express that you want to improve yourself and you want to succeed, it it really will, you know, you'll see your professors go that extra mile to do their best to help you. That's true. That's true. Well, so I'm going to, I think that counts as, is my good thing too. So, (laughs) so we're going to wrap up Mm -hmm. the episode. If you guys are interested in hearing more from Dr. LaRoche about uh, mental health and veterinary school and things like that, uh, stay tuned for the episode next week. We're going to uh, talk about all of those things and more. And uh, and we'll see you then. If you have stories, questions, cases, or anything else you'd like for us to read, please send it to introvetspodcast at gmail.com. And you can find us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram, and it's at introvets. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help. And we'll see you next time. Thanks and bye. Bye Bye-bye.